Speaking in Jesus' name this morning, I have to confess it's with much apprehension that I preached this sermon this morning. I was starting on a uh, Thanksgiving sermon, and and I thought, you know what, we had Thanksgiving topic Wednesday night, and I really don't want to wipe out Brother Cleon for Thursday, and so I kind of scrapped that and uh, wondered what the Lord had for me, but in those meditations, I was thinking about things that I was thankful for, and uh, one of the things that I, I find myself thanking God over and over for is a godly Christian home. So I decided to preach a sermon that I may have preached here 14 years ago, and I don't think I've preached it since. If you have, you have to pardon me, but. Uh, if I lived in another community and Prairie Church asked me to come for a week of revival meetings and that week would end today, this is what the sermon you would hear from me, um, from the Lord. We preachers sometimes tend to... Uh, <coughs> have some very strange thought patterns. If something is needs to be very pointed, um, we, we tend to think, well, that, that's better preached by uh, some preacher from another community. You know, it's better said by somebody else. And I'm thinking through that, and I'm thinking, you know, if, if we constantly do that, if we constantly do that, uh, we might as well simply admit that we uh, are caving into the fear of man if we constantly do that. Now, I agree there's some things maybe better off said by somebody else. But uh, So, uh, this sermon this morning may become at times quite pointed. Um, I hope that I can, my prayer is that I can preach it with compassion. I will assure you I have no axe to grind. I have no personal difficulty. Uh, and if you need any kind of reassurance, this sermon has been preached to 12 other, 11 other congregations. So, uh, so you can hide behind that if you have nothing else to hang on to so um, the title of the sermon is what makes a happy home turn with me your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 starting at verse 1 and if I had to wrap up and if I was forced to preach a sermon on the happy home what makes a happy home in about four minutes, here's where I would go. Uh, because this sums it up. This is, sums up what makes any Christian's life meaningful, effective, and glorifying to God. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath that is in the water under the earth. For thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Of them that, are, that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day, which is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work. Thou shalt thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, which is in thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested in the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That is a happy home in a nutshell. That's it. We will proceed here looking what the rest of the Bible says about a happy home. And we'll notice in here the one we would probably pick out the quickest as to a happy home is verse 12. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It's saying, children, God is saying, children, your job is to honor your father and your mother. But parents should be the kind of parents that deserve that kind of respect. It's extremely difficult for a child to respect a parent who is extremely ungodly, etc., etc. And so it says here that children need to honor their father and their mother. Turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians 6. Very, very... Uh, well-known verse in relation to the home. See, the ethics of the Bible are always balanced. Children are to honor their parents, and parents have their job to do. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. As a general rule, children, if you listen to what your parents say, you will live a longer life than if you did not listen to what they say. I was listening to a sermon uh, just on the way back from International Falls, and uh, the, the, the speaker said his dad had a gift of prophecy. He, he felt, he said uh, he was staying in the yard, and this, and this boy came by in his car with a tremendous rate of speed, Squealing around the, squealing around the corner and down the road he went, and he and his dad said that boy will kill himself in that car. And three days later he was dead.
which terrified the sons, basically. You know, he said, I knew that what my dad predicted would probably come to pass. So, that your days may be long. That doesn't mean you're going to live to 100 years old. When God has his time, to, got time for us to go, that we're going to go. However, we can take that in our own hands by our sinful behavior, by disobedience to our parents, and shorten our lives most likely against the will of God. Then it says, And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, the parents have their parts. Mom and dad have their part. Primarily, the dad is responsibility is responsible for what's happening in the home. Everybody has a part for the home to function as a body. Now, if you turn from in your Bibles, uh, Ephesians 4, and it's speaking of the church here, Ephesians 4, verse 16, and it talks about uh, apostles, pastors, uh, all the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and all this stuff. In verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so, he's talking about the church, and he's saying within the church, there must be structure. Now, I don't know what you would look like, or I don't, I don't, you wouldn't want to know what I look like if all at once my skeletal support just disappeared. You would have a glob of a preacher sitting up here on the, behind the pulpit. A glob of a preacher. And that's basically what's going to happen to a home without structure. It just turns into a glob of whatever. The church needs structure. The home needs structure. The children have their part. The parents have their part. Without it, it will collapse. No questions asked. That, that applies to all homes. That applies to Christian homes. If our homes do not have structure, it is foolish to the foolishness to think that it will be anything but a collapse. First Timothy five verse eight. So we parents have responsibility. To bring our children up. And the Bible says we have the responsibility to provide for them. First uh, Timothy 5 verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now we usually think about that as food, clothes, Cheerios, milk, spam, Whatever. If you don't bring home the groceries, you're a delinquent dad. 
But he makes a direct connection between this inadequate supply and faith. And let's not forget that dimension. Faith has something to do with it because we as parents have more of an obligation to provide... We're obligated to provide more than Cheerios, Spam, and whatever. We are responsible to provide not only for their physical well-being, but for their spiritual well-being. And so... Yeah, if, you're, if your child is sick, you take them to the doctor. And, and if you don't take them to the doctor, everybody's eyebrow go up. It's like, wait a minute, why, you know, your child's at Seth's door, do you take them to the doctor? Oh, no, 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 we, we, we don't bother with that. I mean, that costs too much. And, and, and you say, no, wait a minute. But brothers and sisters this morning, there is a lot of neglect going on in our world today. We are to be parents who cherish and are deeply concerned about human life. Deeply concerned about human life. We would not, under any conditions, go to a clinic to have human life terminated, under no conditions. If that was said of somebody in this congregation, I mean, we would all be so horrified we wouldn't know what to do. However, medical research has allowed the, the home to become what is out there available commercially. And if we believe that human life become, begins at con conception, we must also believe that, uh, be careful here, devices and medications that are used to do the same thing at home are no different than if you jumped in your car and went to a place to have human life terminated. An abortifacient is an abortifacient. And maybe your doctor's telling you that you this medication you take and maybe is is only abortifacient maybe one time one percent of the time. Can we afford one percent? Brothers and sisters, this morning there's some things that we have some latitude on. There's other things we have to get right every time. And I am dead serious with you this morning. Every single time. If. If. O'Hare Airport. Decided. That 99.9% .9 accuracy. In the landing and taking off of their airplanes was adequate. What would happen at O'Hare Airport? My calculations at 2,000 flights a day. In and out. There would be two airplane crashes. Air, 
uh, O'Hare Airport would become a bloodbath. On 99.9% accuracy. They've got to get it right 100% of the time. And that's talking about airplanes. And we could say, that's awful. And they say 99% is okay. 99.9% is okay. Two airlines crashes a day. We say, what would that have to do with human life? How do they look at human life? And we can sit in the doctor's office and he can feed us this stuff that it only is just once every a long time. Maybe it's only 95% or 99%. Or even if you said 99.9. Is that still okay? It is not okay. You compare that with experience that I had when the Ukrainians came with John Slayball to bear out the Bible school to, to lay the brick on the outside of the, of, of the, of the uh, lounge. And maybe I told you a story, but I'm going to tell you it again. And they said, Dennis, you've got to come to our church. You've got to come to our church. Sometime you're in, you're in Traverse City, you've got to come to our church. And I says, you know, I would love to come to your Ukrainian church service sometime. So they had the Midwest meetings in, in, in uh, just south of Traverse City. And they said, you're going to come to our church. And I said, well, I can't come Sunday morning. I mean, I mean, really, I shouldn't. And they said, well, we don't have church Sunday morning. We have church Sunday afternoon. I said, that's great. That would be a good time. So I took off and I went to the Ukrainian church. Well, I didn't understand. I, I wouldn't have understood anything except that I, I sat down and, and within probably one minute there was an interpreter sitting right smack beside me. He came up and he pulled a chair up beside me and he interpreted every word of that service to, into my ear. And I was so blessed. And the pastor got up and he said, we're going to have prayer now. And so he, had, he prayed and he prayed for coverage. He prayed for a lot of things and he said, and he prayed, Lord, bless the ladies that are expecting in our congregation. Bless them with much blessing and, and make all the rest of the ladies fertile. And he, he just blessed the children. And there was just gobs of children around. I mean, it was just children everywhere around there. And, and, and I, I said, oh, what a refreshing. It's like, wow. Isn't that something? They weren't ashamed of it. Nourishment and love. Are our children love? Do they feel it? I hear stories. The same man that said that his dad predicted that this guy was going to kill himself in the car and he did in three days also told him, you're worthless. How stupid can you get? You are ignorant. Leave and don't ever come back. And I'm listening to that sermon and I'm thinking... No, wait a minute. Not in a Christian home. Not in a Christian home. Oh, yeah. He said, I became so hard and so bitter that when I, went, when I grew up, I was like 17 or 18, if I went, somebody's, went to somebody's house and I had to use a restroom, I would not use the restroom because I didn't need anybody's restroom. I didn't need anybody for anything.
I'm dumbfounded. I, I can't believe that. But that's what he said. He was talking about parents having their children's heart. There's more to life, more to child abuse than striking a child. Absolutely. So, child's parents need to provide training and discipline. And I would propose to you this morning, along with myself, and I was going to say that I'm preaching this sermon to myself primarily. You can listen in. That's usually the way it is, and I hope it's always that way. But we need to provide training and discipline for our children. And that primarily starts with the example of the parents. Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And so you say, I love my child, and I love my child, and I love my child so much that I can't discipline him. No, 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 no. No, the Bible says if you don't discipline, just get over the love part. You're not, you're not loving him like they should. Because that's part of love, loving. Discipline is part of love. And so discipline is, is setting boundaries. Uh, we, we do this at this house and we don't do this at, at our house. You see, you have to have boundaries. But, see, the boundaries need to start with mom and dad. Do, do I place boundaries on my life? Um, do you set boundaries for yourself, parents? Do you have boundaries? Do your children know you have boundaries? Do your children know where their boundaries are? Most of the time, now I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time, over at least 50% of the time, if your child comes to you and says, can I do this, and you say, what do you think I will say? What do you think my response is going to be? They should know what you're going to say. They should know what you're going to say, that you probably will say. If they don't, I would say that we don't have the structure that God is calling us to have in our home. Somewhere, mom and dad are not setting boundaries for themselves clear enough that the child knows, yes, I probably, I most likely will be able to, or probably not, but I'm going to try. You know how children are. I'll give it a shot. Maybe an outside chance. Maybe an outside chance. We do it. You did it. I did it. Everybody does it to their parents. Maybe it's an outside chance. Maybe dad or mom's going to be soft today. And, you know, maybe sometimes, whatever. Do you set yourself boundaries of social media? Are you neglecting your children? If I did not, well, I, don't even, I, I can't even use this I don't use social media. But if I had social media, and, and, and I'm neglecting my children because I'm on social media, don't, I shouldn't be surprised 
that when I say to my child, do this, and they're on social media, that they're going to pay attention to me. Because I neglected them, they'll just neglect me. What's the difference? There's no difference. You know, permissive parents are the greatest enemies a child can have. A child can have a lot of enemies in, in life. But permissive parents are a child's greatest enemy. Now, I'm not saying you should run a police state. I'm just simply saying, if dad and mom cannot say no, then they will never learn no. If dad and mom cannot take no, they will never learn no. Ten rules to follow to raise a delinquent child. Begin with empathy to give the child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow up believing the world owes him a living. When he picks up bad words, laugh at him. This will make him think he's cute. He will also encourage him to pick up cuter phrases that will blow the, off the top of your head later. Never give him any spiritual training. Wait till he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. Avoid the, use, the word wrong. It may develop a guilt complex. This will condition him to believe later when he is arrested for stealing a car that society is against him and he is being persecuted. Pick up everything he leaves lying around, books, shoes, clothes. Do everything for him so that he will be experienced in throwing all responsibility on others. Let him read any printed matter he can get his hands on. Be careful to wash. Be careful that the silverware and the drinking glasses are sterilized, but don't worry about his mind feeding on garbage. Quarrel frequently in the presence of your children. In this way, they will not be too shocked when the home is broken up later. Give the child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his. Why should he think, why should he have things as tough as you did? Satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that every sensual desire is gratified. Denial may lead to harmful frustration. Take his part against neighbors, teachers, policemen. They're all prejudiced against your child. When he gets into real trouble, apologize to yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. Number 12, prepare yourself for a life of grief. You'll surely have it. We have had, always had, in our home with every child that was ever given to us by God, what I call the early age showdown. And I would say to you this morning, if you avoid the early age showdown, uh, there will be many, many, many other showdowns come. And I'm not saying that the early age showdown solves all problems, but I can tell you one thing. When your child is young, and I'm talking about young, three weeks, three months, six months, whatever, you know, and I know, that you can tell the difference between when they got a bellyache and when they're having a temper tantrum. All right? That's soon evidence. You're, you're not a parent very long till you figure out that they got a birthday present 
of selfishness and rebellion that you're going to have to deal with. And I have found that the early age showdown uh, helps to solve some problems. And uh, if your child's throwing a fit, and it's an anger fit, you can hold them firmly, tightly. Oh, yeah, they got to get their breath and all that. All right, okay. And say, no. And they will scream. And they will yell. And they will have another fit. No. The connection between no and there's someone bigger in this world than I am. No. Firmly. Consistently. No. More tears. More carrying on. More whatever. No. No. Till the child understands that no means no. And dad is not going to move. Things are not going to progress. We're going to sit here if it takes 15 minutes, if it takes a half an hour, whatever. No. Obviously, you have more strength than the child has. It's not a problem to make sure that you just stay where they are and repeat the word no. Parents, don't cringe from that. Somewhere along the way, your child needs to know that no means no. Dad's not going to get angry about it. He's not going to slap you around. He's not going to say, I told you six times, and this is the seventh time, and I'm going to count to ten, and when I get to ten, you better do it, and when they don't do it, you go to eleven, twelve, and thirteen, or start over again, and all this kind of stuff. No means no. Now, that's kind of not pleasant side. But parents also need to show understanding and encouragement. Yes, they're disciplined. There's teaching that no means no. It's not a party. It's not a happy time. But it needs to happen. But parents also need to, to balance discipline with understanding and encouragement. You did very well. Excellent. When your child brings in... The, you know, three years old and brings in a, uh, a bundle of dandelions and gives it to you. It is the one, it's the prettiest bouquet you ever see. And you don't realize at that time, but it will be. If you don't realize at that time, when you get my age, you will, you will know that that's one of the most beautiful bouquets you will ever be handed in your life is by your small child. Those dandelions. And that look on their face. Yes, we need to expect things from our children. You know, if, if, if the child gets the idea that mom and dad, dad and mom or whatever, don't, don't expect anything, they, they won't perform. So we do need to have expectations. 
The children need to understand our expectations. They should be within their ability to do. But we shouldn't ask too much. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians thirteen. This is a love chapter. And in the middle of this love chapter, there is a very profound statement about love and about how it works. In verse eleven it says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. As a child, notice that. As a child. Our children are children. They can't do certain things. Now, we need to, to stretch their abilities and to teach them things, but not outside their ability to comprehend or to do. To where they're frustrated. So we shouldn't be if we find ourselves constantly fussing our children because we're not performing, we need to stop and back up and say, am I being realistic in what I expect from them? And we can have fun with our children, but there's limitations to that. Just keep teasing your children, teasing your children, teasing your children, teasing your children, and teasing your children. You ever see somebody tease somebody till they cry? I have. There's times where we need to give construction, constru constructive criticism. Cri oh, if I can get it out. Constructive criticism. But I'd like to encourage you this morning that there's one place I believe that criticism should not happen, or correction should not happen at a mealtime. Now, I love my dad, and I love uh, a lot of things he did, but I believe he made one mistake. And part of that mistake came back to me because I was the one that was prompting the criticism. But we had sideburns for dinner. I mean, we had sideburns for dinner, sideburns for dinner, sideburns for dinner. Now, the easiest way would be that I would just put my sideburns where my dad wanted the sideburns to be, and we wouldn't have had sideburns for dinner. Okay, so, but, but I'm just telling you. I think... My personal opinion, my, my, my experience is that when a family comes together for a meal, it should be a happy time. If there's issues to take care of, you take care of it before the meal or you take care of it after the meal. Meal time should be happy time. Everyone should look forward to sitting down at the table. Now that's my two cents. I think meals should be hassle-free. But our children should never honestly be, be able to honestly say, I could never do anything right for my dad or my mom. That should never be the case where they could honestly say that. I know people say all kinds of things, trying to shift all their problems on their parents and all that stuff. I'm just talking about honestly say that. They should never be able to say it. I had a young man, I talked to a young man 
and he was struggling. I mean, he was struggling and struggling. And he told me, I cannot pick up a milk can off of this level, turn around, and put it there to my, my dead satisfaction. And you know what else he said? He said, I hope my dad dies before my mom so she can have some peace and quiet before she goes. That's what I call T-Y-R-A-N-T. That's what I call. And it should never be named among our people. Martin Luther said, Use the rod, don't spare it, but alongside the rod, give an apple. Keep an apple to give to him when he does well. And back in Martin Luther's time, an apple meant a whole lot more than it does to us today. If you read books, I mean, back in the 30s and you know 20s or whatever, if a child got an apple or an orange for Christmas, that was a significant event. And so he's, he's saying, make sure that you can give your child a significant event if he does well. Next point. Parents should leave their children the memory of a good life spent in service for Christ in his church. Every single child deserves to have a mom and a dad, parents who have chosen the church, and they are in there, and they are 110% behind the program. If you, have, if you want to find confused children, is families who the parents are chewing out the church and complaining and whining and everything else, and they're just tagging along and complaining, and it's like, why do we have to do this? And why do we have to do that? And why do we got to do this? And... And, you know, this is wrong, and that's wrong. Everything's wrong about the church. And they wonder why. When the children get old enough that they run off to some other church. Why would they, why would they have any motivation at all to stay at the parents' church if everything was wrong for 20 years? I'd look for something better, too. Wouldn't you? Yeah. So be at church every time the doors are open. I'm getting very pointed here. But remember, I did it 12 other congregations. So, If our children need to ask whether we're going to church Sunday night or Wednesday night, I think we as parents have some priority issues to take care of. I ask, can we afford to neglect the unleashing power of prayer? Can we afford to neglect that? I go places and the pastor says, well, uh, sorry, uh, this, I go into church Sunday morning. And he says, now you'll be, this is after a week of meetings. He says, you'll be seeing people here this morning you hadn't seen all week. He says, what do you do about that? And I said, well, one thing for stars, you got to pray hard. you got to pray hard. And these people come through the line, and they shake my hand, my name is so-and-so. And, you know, we would have been here all week, but, but, 
and you have this big long line. Can I suggest something? Or maybe ask a question to start with. Do you believe it, within, it is within the Lord's will that everybody in congregation come Wednesday night as absolutely as much as possible? You think that would be within the confines of the Lord's will? I think it would. Um, if I cannot come because of certain circumstances, and that that presents itself week after week after week after week after week. Do you think it would be within the Lord's will that I would ask God to provide me the possibility, the opportunity to take care of that obstacle that keeps me from doing what I deep down in know would be God's will? You think that would be good? And I'm just using this as, uh, Wednesday night as as an illustration because that's where we're here. But that principle applies to uh, uh, all kinds of things. If I find myself knowing what the will of God, but something is keeping me from doing it, wouldn't it be the pleasure of God, and wouldn't it be within the capability of God? Wouldn't it be within uh, the pleasure of God? To help me to change that. And I will say here that if God was as blessed as I was, and if God was as happy as I was, and if God was as thrilled as I was, when I was here Wednesday night and this auditorium was almost full. I tell you, I, 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 that was amazing. I, I don't get, I, this is not satire or nothing. I, it's the depth of my heart. I, I'm sure I went home and I went blessed. I was so blessed. And Mary Sue and I talk about it. That is just a tremendous, tremendous. I don't know. I can't explain it. I, I can't explain it. But when there's a skeleton crew, I know that God still hears me. I know all this stuff, and I know that, that, that He cares, and, and He's willing to listen to my prayer. But, but somehow, I, 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 I'm just a little disappointed. 